Pretend your tongue is a paintbrush and your heart is a bucket full of paint. You dip your brush into your bucket so that you can paint a picture on a canvas for the world to see. And the picture that you paint, it reveals your relationship with Christ, good or bad. Your words are like a word cloud every day. There is a collection of words that come out of your mouth. They go onto a canvas and they they show the world what you think of Christ, how you've been affected by Christ. They see your Christianity by the word choices that you use. Maybe you can go back on your your Facebook feed and look at all the comments that you have made over the past 24 hours or 24 days and what do those picture or what do those words reveal to others about your relationship with Christ. But more than that, not only does it reveal a portrait of Christ, your Christ, your Jesus, but it has an immediate and long-term impact on all those who experience it. And so my question is, I have two questions for you in this podcast. Number one, what kind of Jesus are you painting? And then number two, what effect do you have on others by the words that you are using? I know some of you that are listening to this right now are going, oh, snap, not this, not this kind of podcast. It's kind of like when you get in an argument with your spouse on the way to the church meeting on Sunday morning and you walk into the auditorium and and it's Communion Sunday and you realize, oh no, I can't take communion now because I have this unresolved dust up with my spouse. Well, no, you can take communion. All you have to do is, is to repent and reconcile. And so perhaps your most recent communication with someone It's not the best reflection of Christ that you want to present, and it has had an adverse impact on others. Well, if that's the case, well, keep listening, but also make a mental note that it's time to clean up that dust up, whatever it is and with whom you had it with. The title of the podcast here is People Learn About Jesus by the Things You Say, and so if you want to read this podcast, there is an article sitting on our website. People learn about Jesus by the things you say. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. You are listening to Your Daily Drive. Why do our words have so much power? Psalm 41, uh, 45.1 says this, My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. Well, in order to think about why our words have so much power, we need to back up theologically speaking and and think about where did we receive this power. I'm going to start with the ascension of Christ. After the resurrection, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, he ascended to heaven. Christ stepped out of time and space and is sitting at the right hand of our Father. And the Father gave him all authority and and all power. He did that so he could give us authority and power. 
and he accomplished this through the enabling of the Holy Spirit, who is our gift of regeneration. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Christ ascended, received all authority and power, and now he has given authority and power to us. That's why our words have so much power. In Acts 1.8, you, you know this verse well. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, so you not only receive power, but you're communicating for me. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All that Jesus was on earth now can be ours through the Holy Spirit. We have received the power. If Jesus stayed here, he would be in one place at one time, like the rest of us humans, he is a local being, but he ascended. And when he did, what he was on earth is now given to us through the Spirit. He said it this way in John 16, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you, John 16, 13 through 15. This news is stunning. The Spirit now explodes in the heart of any person who is born a second time. Jesus' ascension allowed him to go viral in a way that he could not accomplish while living like a singular human in one locale. Jesus the man was not omnipresent. Some people get so confused because they don't understand the hypostatic union. They, they kind of have this caricature of Christ, like a, a Marvel comic book character, as though he's 98% man and 2% God. He set his godness aside and became 100% man. Not only was he not all-powerful on earth, but he was also not omnipresent. And so his ascension, it allowed him, now Jesus can go viral. And that's why he's telling us in in Acts 1a, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the, the end of the earth. That is more than what Jesus could do when he was here as a singular being, a unique individual in one locale. Through the Holy Spirit, now, Jesus crosses all lines of humanity by empowering all of his children to be like he was on earth, Christ-like. We are Christians. We are followers of Christ. All of us, millions of us, can be like Christ. Even the weakest Christian in the world today, however you would calculate that, I'm not sure how, But even the weakest Christian in the world today is more powerful, is a more powerful voice than the great John the Baptist.
In Matthew 11, 11, it says, "Is truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. When you speak God's word, but not just God's word, biblically derived teachings and extrapolations and meanings from God's word into the lives of others, they hear the words of Christ as though he were talking to them This perspective was Paul's understanding when he was teaching the Christians in Ephesus. He said this in 421 of Ephesians. He says, Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. The English translators of this sentence supplied the word about. Paul said, Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. Well, they supplied that word about, which is not how Paul originally wrote the sentence. He said, originally, assuming that you have heard him. Jesus Jesus was not there in a physical body to teach them, but he was there and did teach them because his children were speaking his words. A representative, we represent Christ, have all power and authority to speak his words. You are an ambassador for Christ, as Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 5.20. He said, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you, Paul says, on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Think about this. As ambassadors for Christ, you speak for Christ. As God makes his appeals to others through you. This is profound. Not only is this profound, it is a fantastic privilege, but it's more than that, because I'm sure you are you are listening with, with ears of sobriety. This is a sobering responsibility that I'm talking about. This is not everyday Christian stuff. In fact, I would imagine that there are many who who really have no clue about the powerfulness and and the theological undergirding of of this this of our words and the things that we communicate. These things that I'm sharing with you. I want you to think about the sequence of benefits for those who are Christ-like in their communication. I want to lay out a sequence of seven things as an ambassador of Christ, as you speak as you speak for Jesus to others. Number one, you share the message of the gospel. You go into all the world and you share the message of the gospel. Or your world, whatever world that is, it may be just your local church, your cul-de-sac, your grocery store, and that's fantastic. But number one, you share the message of Christ. Number two, the hearer hears Christ speaking. Number three, the Holy Spirit magnifies Christ. That's that's part of what these verses have been saying that I've been sharing with you. By the way, you you can read all the verses that I've shared with you and the ones that aren't written out in this article. You can hover over them with your cursor and a little pop-up box. It'll pop up, and then you can read the verse inside that that box. But here's a sequence of benefits for those who are Christ-like in their communication. Number one, you share the message of the gospel. Number two, 
The hearer hears Christ speaking. Number three, the Holy Spirit magnifies Christ. Number four, God's light and life explode in the person's heart. If you have been born a second time, that has happened to you. Number five, the Holy Spirit changes lives. Number six, Christ is glorified. Number seven, the gospel mission advances. Those are seven sequential profound steps that happen for those who are Christ-like in their communication. The words of Christ that you speak, and it's important that you hear this. Some of you have already thought about this. They are not revelation words, as though the words that you speak are equal to Bible words. Bible words are inspired by God, while ours come from the Spirit's illumination. We speak from a position of illumination, not inspiration. And that's why I was saying earlier that when you speak God's Word, God's inspired Word directly from the Bible, but also biblically, and and that's why I put not just teachings, but biblically derived teachings, extrapolations, and meanings from God's Word into the lives of others, because we speak from a position of illumination, the Spirit's illumination, not inspiration. This inability, though, and and it's important that you hear this, because just because you can't speak from a position of inspiration does not make what you say something to dismiss, because it is the transforming Spirit of God that penetrates hearts to regenerate and sanctify the soul. And so the issue for us to consider here in this podcast is our reliance and our submission to the Spirit's guidance. Our job is to keep in step with the Spirit, seeking not to quench the Spirit of God or grieve the Spirit of God. So there is an unleashing of the Spirit of God on our world. Our cooperation with the Spirit is a high call to make sure that the words of our mouths are righteous, are biblical. Question for you. Do you consider yourself a conduit for the Spirit of Christ to make the name of Christ great within your sphere of influence? If you are a Christian, you should have no choice in this matter. Christians do not own themselves. We do not belong to ourselves. God bought Christians with the high price of his of the life of his son. You are a slave to Christ. There is no opt-out clause in the Christian religion. Christians are painters by trade. Your tongue is your brush. And your heart is supplying the paint that communicates what Christ means to you. The folks who are most affected by your canvas are those who are closest to you. What kind of painting of Christ is on display in your life, in your home? If your life was an art museum, what would others see? When Paul thought how the imprint of his words would affect others, he was desperate to use selective spirit-illuminated words that were redemptive. Whether encouraging or confronting someone, both of those things are biblically appropriate in the right context and to the right individuals. And regardless of what he was doing, encouraging or confronting, he wanted the Spirit of Christ to illuminate him. 
The words we choose will have one of two effects. They will either build up other people or tear down other people. It's interesting that right before Paul said, don't grieve the Spirit of God in Ephesians 4.30, he talked about our corrupting speech, which, which means to tear down. And so in this podcast, what I want to do for the remainder of it, and I have an infographic that you can look at that will communicate visually what I'm going to share with you audibly, but I'm going to walk through eight parts of speech in a sequential order, and you'll see it on this this infographic. In fact, I'll read them to you, and then I'll explain them. Here's the order of our speech. Always starts with the gospel, then uh, theology, and then presupposition, and then heart, then thoughts, then words, then finally our speech, what we say, and then the effect of our words. Notice what I just said to you. Our words are number, the speech is number seven, and the effect is number eight. But before our speech goes audible, there are six more things that ha- happen that actually determines the kind of speech that we are going to have. And so I would love for you to take this article and work through these eight parts of speech to see where you can discern the weaker aspects of your theology of communication. That's what I'm talking about here. And to see if there are weaker aspects and if there are areas that need your attention. All right, so here are eight parts of speech in order. Part part number one, as I said, is the gospel. Correct speaking and speech patterns must begin with the gospel. If a person has not been affected by the gospel, their words cannot be redemptive. An unregenerate person doesn't have redemptive words. In fact, an unregenerate person doesn't even understand the things of God, as you know from what Paul said to the Corinthians. And so how you end, meaning what you say, will be determined by how you start, meaning the gospel. And so the gospel has to be our point of departure. If you want your language to be redemptive, and what I mean by that, if you want it to be restorative for people, You must be redeemed. But let me push the point further. There are degrees in which a person can be affected by the gospel. Jesus talked about this in Luke 7. He said, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, for he who is forgiven little loves little. And that's why it's important that you have awareness of your wickedness before God transformed you, because whatever that awareness is, it will be proportional to the gratitude you have for your transformation. The person who thinks that God got a good deal or the person that thinks that they are a less sinner than someone else will not be. The person who is forgiven little will love little. This truth means that the effect of the gospel on you, it determines your humility it will determine your gratitude, your passion, and every other Christian virtue, like what you see in Galatians 5. And so while every person must be transformed by the gospel in regeneration, you must be born again, that is the starting point to have redemptive speech. But within that, there is a, a granular, or there, there are degrees, a stratification within that level, because some people are born again, but they're... They are not impacted by the gospel in a passionate way and an eagerness to transform because, well, 
They just haven't been affected to that degree by the gospel. And so the gospel is the departing point for the communication that eventually, for the words that eventually comes out of your mouth. Then part two, next step, next element in these eight parts of speech is theology. You see, everybody has a theology, including the devil. And this is why your speech must not begin with theology, but your speech must begin with the gospel. If the gospel has not transformed you, your theology can be quite devilish. The gospel establishes the footing upon which your theology will stand. The gospel-transformed life is ready to support gospel-centered theology. And so part one in these eight elements of speech is the gospel. And then on top of that, part two is theology. The word theology comes from the Greek language, theos logos, or you could state it this way, the study of God. We should always be pursuing sound theology like Jesus did when he was on earth. We read that in Luke 2. The hungrier your heart is for sound theology, the more God's thoughts will shape your presuppositions, and that's part three. And so we have gospel, we have theology on top of gospel, and then we have presupposition. You can think of your presupposition as the interpretive grid from which all words proceed. It's like a a window that comes before your thoughts. It comes before your words and your presupposition. Let's say you have a a gospel-centered, theologically-centered presupposition then that is the window through which all of your thoughts and words will go through. Words are not neutral. They're not detached from your presupposition. And if you don't have a gospel-centered, theologically-infused presupposition, well, then the words that go through whatever window you do have, whatever grid you do have, Uh, They will not be the best words. I have an infographic here that you're welcome to look at that communicates this idea of presuppositional truth, but it is vital that you understand it, because if you do not saturate your presupposition by the gospel and infuse them with sound theology, how you view, respond, and speak into lives will be ungodly. All right, so you have a gospel foundation. On top of that, you have growing sound theology. That forms the window through which your words will flow. That's your presupposition. Now, number four is your heart. In the context of this podcast, the heart represents the animating center of your being, the place that can defeat idolatries or give life to them. Things like fear, regret, shame, guilt, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, and unbelief, they find their home in our hearts. But the transformative effect of the gospel and the depth of our theology work together, and they root out the encroachments of sin that linger in our hearts. This truth is hugely important because the condition of our hearts will determine how we think, how we speak, and how we affect others. And so you have 
a gospel-centered foundation, theology on top of that strong foundation. You have developed a filter to to interpret and think about life. Now you're dealing with your heart and you're rooting out all those shaping influences and Adamic tendencies that, that can so much impact our speech. And as you're doing that, part number five are your thoughts. Our minds are where our words are assembled. The parts that make up the construction material comes from everything else that has been stated earlier. The construction material of your mind is is built from this, gospel, theology, presupposition, and heart. And the combination of these four things form your thoughts, the last stop before words come out of your mouth. If the gospel has not taken proper root, if our theology, if your theology is not as sound as it should be, and if our hearts have accumulated controlling idolatries, then strongholds will captivate us. We'll have false arguments in our minds that will have persuasive power over our word choices. If you do not know how to defeat the captivating strongholds, false arguments that are in your mind, you need to find help to do that. I have a link here to an article that's one of the more popular articles on our website, How to Take Every Thought Captive. It is a chapter in my book, which I would encourage you to get, Change Me, the Ultimate Life Change Handbook. And so out of the heart comes our thoughts, number five. Then number six are the words. Our thoughts, good or bad, form our words. These words are little soldiers who march off our tongues to wave the banner of Christ. Or not. They spread throughout our sphere of influence. They can wreak destruction or build people up redemptively. As you can see, our words are not neutral, but determined and developed and deployed to be divine or destructive. It is from the abundance of our hearts that our mouths speak. Number six, words. Number seven, speech. As I said earlier when I was listing these out for you, number seven and eight are speech, the things that we actually say and the effect that we have on each other. And finally, we speak. We say something. All of the other component shaping influences have influenced us, and we, we finally... And, and irretrievably deploy our words with purpose. They reveal to the world our belief system, good or bad, as I have been describing thus far. There is no hiding this truth about our communication. Now, of course, you can repent. You can always repent, but you'll never be able to retrieve your words. Number seven, speech. And then number eight, effect. You can explore whether your words are the words of the Spirit by the effect that your communication has on others. There's a simple way to examine the impact of your speech. Talk to those who hear you most. How have you affected them? What did they say when you asked them? If you have already, if you haven't, will you? It would be a critical leadership opportunity to ask through the external evidence, though the external evidence should already 
be a parent, the impact of your words on other people. If you are married, it is a simple, straightforward test. Examine your spouse and your children if you have children. For those of you who aren't married, then your friends. How you use words or refrain from using words like silence and passivity The refraining of using words like passivity, it impacts those closest to you the most. And if you are passive or you are silent, as in the silent treatment, then it has an adverse effect on those. You have a fantastic opportunity to find greater usefulness by the Spirit of God. Christ-like examples empowered by the Spirit to impact lives. You can speak the words of Christ to all those around you. You can cooperate with the Spirit in the transformation of souls, just like Jesus did when he was here. We can do greater works, as he said. The title of this podcast is, People Learn About Jesus by the Things That You Say. I broke down a theology of speech or a theology of communication. I gave you eight parts in this order. Starts with the gospel. You build a presupposition. Uh, I'm sorry, starts with the gospel. You build your theology. Out of that forms a presupposition. That affects your heart. Your heart affects your thoughts. And then your thoughts develop your words. And then you talk, speech. And number eight, you affect people. I have a call to action here that would also be beneficial for you if you want to talk about this podcast with another person. You can interact with these questions, and I trust that it will be truly redemptive for you. And one of the ways, the way to measure the redemptiveness of this podcast, this article, and all these links is by the effect that you have on other people. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.